I want to welcome you to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really, really glad that you're here this morning. We're going to be continuing on in our fall vision series, um, which we are calling Pursuit. Um, One of the ways that you can sum up the Christian life, in short, is God has pursued us in his son, therefore we now pursue him. This is one of the the ways, the easy ways to sum up the Christian life. And during this vision series, we're looking at our four identities as a church through the lens of this idea of pursue or pursuing God. And our four identities are worshiper, learner, family, and missionary. Last week, Blake covered worshiper. This week, we will be focused on learner. The next two weeks, we'll be doing family and missionary. And we call these gospel identities because when God changes our hearts, comes into our lives, changes us, we have faith and belief by grace through faith alone. We receive him. We become new creations. We're given this new identity. We're now sons and daughters of the king. And this is really, really good news. This is the gospel, the thing that changes us. This is our new identity. But under that identity, it seems there are some other, you could call them sub-identities, when you look from beginning to end in the scriptures that Christ followers are to, to, to model or to, or to put on. Okay? And these are the four things that we see consistently come up through scripture. Worshiper, learner, family, and missionary. Okay, this is why we talk about these things in the terms of gospel identity, because they are given to us by the gospel. And today we're looking at this idea called learner, okay? And it may seem strange or or weird to call a Christian a learner, but there's a reason why we do this. And before we get into this, I want to kind of keep learner and worshiper together in a little bit because um, we're we're pulling them apart for these two weeks. We pull them apart as we explain them in our vision. However, when we look at the scriptures, learner and worshiper really go hand in hand, the scriptures kind of keep their, their, there's some tension in those two things, and there's a lot of overlap when we talk about those things. When we, as we learn and we grow and understand the Father and who He is and what He has done, it creates a, a, a depth in worship for us. And then as our worship increases and we go deeper into a life of worship, we begin to, to want to know more about the Father, want to know more about the Son. We want to follow the Son at, at a more committed level, okay? So these, these, these two things go hand in hand. They feed off each other. They're, they're cyclical, okay? And learner is, is really, really important. I've used this example before, but in, in marriage, okay? It reminds me of marriage. And imagine this, if, if my wife, Nicole, and I were on our honeymoon, and we were, having, we were sitting at this nice dinner and talking to one another. We had just experienced our, our wedding ceremony, and I, and I said to her, you know, this, this time period that we've, we've dated, we've been engaged, we got married, this has been really great, pursuing you, learning about you, understanding you. It's been really, really great. Our wedding was great. Um, but really, you know, I, I want to stay married and I want to receive the benefits of marriage, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this pursuit thing. It's kind of pursuit starts, stops here. I've learned all I need to learn about you. I want to stay married, though. I believe in marriage. Eh, pursuing though, we'll we'll just kind of cap it here on our honeymoon. I I tell her that. How awful is that? That's horrible. I would never, ever say that. And hopefully you all wouldn't say that to each other, those of you who are married. But I feel like that's what sometimes we do in our relationship with God. 
Okay, we, we become Christians, and then we, we, we stop pursuing him. We stop pursuing to know him and understand him, the deep things that come with, come with understanding God and knowing God and a relationship with God. And as, a, as I've been married to Nicole for 12 years, I've, 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 one of the goals I have is to continue to pursue her, to understand her, to be a student of her, to love her. Like realizing that she is not like one of my old college roommates. And I can't jump out of a hall closet and scare her. I mean, I can't crawl around the bed after we've both been in bed for a while and stick my hand up on her side of the bed. I can't do that anymore. And I realized that the first couple of months of marriage that she is not like one of my college roommates. So I've stopped that stuff. I've learned, okay, this is, she's different, okay? We probably shouldn't do that in a marriage relationship. So I don't do those things anymore, at least not to that level. Maybe every once in a while, but not to that level. So the point is, is that I, I should never stop pursuing learning about and understanding my wife. Okay, so this is the idea of a learner. So here are the three things we're going to look at um, to understand this idea a little bit more. What does the Bible mean when it describes Christians as learners? And it does, so we'll talk about that. Two, what does the process look like in growing up into this idea of a learner? What's that process look like? And third, we're going to talk about what does this specifically look like at Providence Road? This is a vision series we want to make very practical, concrete steps is what does it look like for us to walk this identity out in this church, okay? So what is a learner? Okay, the word the Bible uses to refer to Christians is, is disciple most often. And actually, the first time uh, the, the disciples were called, were called Christians was in Antioch in Acts um, 11.26. It says the disciples were first called Christians. That's what this text says. So disciple actually precedes the word Christian in the scriptures, okay? Something that you may not have known. The word disciple literally means learner. When you translate that from the original languages, disciple means learner. But when you first hear that idea of learner, I think we tend to put it in our context, we think of a learner uh, maybe in the classroom or something that's purely an intellectual pursuit, kind of just with our minds. And, and discipleship includes our minds and our intellects, but it is so much more than that. So when you hear this idea of learner, try to set aside your, maybe the idea that we get from learner in our culture and think more of what it is and how disciple is tied up into that. And I actually think the better idea for um, this idea of learner in the picture is one of, a, of an apprentice. Okay, It's a weird word. We don't use that anymore. But this idea and what an apprentice does, I think that's more of the biblical idea behind learner. Uh, the dictionary defines apprentice as one who is learning by practical experience under skilled workers, usually involving a trade, an art, or a calling. There's some this word imitation is tied up into that. We are imitating the one that we want to be like, that we want to learn from. There's imitation there. Jeff Vanderstelp, a pastor, defines discipleship like this, and I think he's getting at this idea of apprentice here. It is the ongoing process of submitting all of life to Jesus and seeing him saturate your entire life in the world with his presence and power. Okay, so learning involves really all of the senses, okay? We, we learn all the time. We're learning every day we're learning. You just look at the life of a toddler. I have a two-year-old. I know this. I see this. He, he's learning how his body moves every day through trial and error. He's learning how to say words and put words together to form sentences. You can always see his mind turning and working. 
And that doesn't stop. For any human being, we're always learning. We're always growing. We're always being shaped. And we're being shaped by our culture, by the things we watch, the things we read, how we interact, uh, the, the, the social media platforms we interact on, the books we read, the podcasts we listen to, the malls we frequent, the boutiques we go to. All of these things are part of our culture, our culture and, and they shape us, oftentimes without even us knowing it. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year after year, the culture shapes us. And this is for all human beings. Okay? This is not just Christians. This is all human beings. So if you're, a, you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I would, I, you are being shaped by the culture. I can guarantee it. Okay? We're part, we're, this is the water we swim in. The, 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 this is it. Okay? This is our culture. We are, we are formed and shaped by our culture, whether we like it or not. These things have an underlying narrative or a story that is kind of giving to us and promising to us to give us what we think the good life is. How do I, how do I become more attractive? How do I look more beautiful? How do I become more successful? How do I become more content? How do I have better relationships? Okay, all of these things, there's, everything in the culture is, is moving us towards the def, the, how the culture defines those things and promises to give us those things, the picture of the good life. And oftentimes, I think we just operate like this isn't happening. We go through life and, and don't realize the culture is shaping us or forming us. So as followers of Jesus, the first step is recognizing that, is saying, okay, this is, this is how the culture is actually shaping me. This is why I do what I do. This is how those things affect me. And then taking those things and setting them aside and replacing those things with Jesus, the gospel, the things of the scriptures. Everything is orienting our hearts toward a love and a, a desire for someone or something. Our habits, our hobbies, our practices. So the question for us is, what is discipling us? What has the most influence over us? Who are we apprentices to in this life we're living right now? Okay, so let's get into the text. We're going to jump around a little bit today because we're going to look at uh, this idea of learner and disciple from a lot of different angles. But the first place we're going to start is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is uh, Mark, disciple of Jesus, writing here. This is right at the beginning. This is right out of the gate of Jesus' ministry. This is the first interaction we see in Mark with Jesus. Okay, verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so let's stop there. Jesus, he, he proclaims the gospel, proclaims the kingdom, calls people to repent, to believe, to have faith in who he is. And they respond, they're saved. Okay, these are, these are followers of Jesus now. These are disciples. These are Christians. And so everything after this, he's talking to people who are saved, who are new creations, who are followers of Jesus. Okay, so let's go to verse 16. So passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants and followed him. So a couple things to notice here. One, Jesus calls them and they leave everything. Leave everything behind. Leave their occupation. Seems like they left their families at this point, at least for a period of time. Immediately, they turned and followed Jesus. 
The other thing we notice too that's, that's different from th- that culture is that a student would search out a rabbi to, to, to mentor them, to disciple them, to, to, uh, to be an apprentice under them. Okay? The student always sought after the master. But in this case, the master, Jesus, the rabbi, actually calls the students. He calls the students to follow him. So an interesting um, idea there. I think it plays into this idea of Jesus saving us in the gospel. And when Jesus calls his disciples, he's basically telling them, I want priority over your career, your family, your money, your free time, your marriage, all of that. I want it all. I want to be the main priority in your life. Therefore, follow me. I'm headed this way. Follow me. Okay, this is discipleship. This is what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. Okay? Now, we may read this, and I think I even read this every once in a while, and feel like, man, this is, this is radical. Like, just fought, left everything and followed Jesus, said goodbye to everything, I, I, I'm gone. Seems radical. Seems like fanatical. Like, this would produce um, religious fanatics. And I think this is the, the reason why we think, I think this is so radical because we have this I think, idea, at least in uh, American Christianity, that there are two kinds of, of Christians. You have kind of just, just Christians, and then you have disciples. Like disciples are like the Navy SEALs of, of Christianity. You have like JV and varsity. And, and, and a, a lot of us maybe are just like, I'm just a Christian. I'm not a disciple, like radical stuff, uh, disciples. But we're going to see the scriptures make no distinction. They're always called disciples. They're interchangeable, Christian and disciples throughout the scripture. There are not two classes of Christians. And I think a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of times that we've missed this in, in, our, in our culture, it, we have this, this, this vision of this American Christianity that has these two classes of Christians that we can believe um, facts about Jesus. We maybe identify as a Christian, so we think maybe it helps us in life. It's kind of a thing we add to our resume. We have all these things that are important to us. We kind of have this, this Jesus slot. And so he's one of many things. Kind of helps us in, in this culture, I think, most, at least in, in Oklahoma. Uh, being a follower of Jesus still maybe is something that's, that's acceptable, maybe even approved of. If you're a Christian, you go to, you're kind of a good person. Hey, you're a good person if you go to church. But there is, we don't see that kind of Christianity in the scriptures. We see this radical following of Jesus and him being Lord of all of our lives, okay? And this doesn't produce disciples, okay? This is not producing disciples. Um, We really don't look a lot different than the rest of the world oftentimes. You look at statistics of non-Christians and Christians, and those things, the, the behaviors of both of these groups of people often look alike. And so I'm wondering if this view of Christianity in this country is um, a result of that. Um, so my fear as a church is that we would, we would buy into this. I don't want to buy into this as a church. And this is hard in the burbs of Norman. Okay? We're in the suburbs. Okay? This, this, this is where I think this kind of Christianity flourishes more than anywhere else is in the suburbs in the United States. So I think we need to be aware and we need to be careful. And we need to be willing to talk about Jesus outside of these walls. We need to make sure we're caring for the marginalized and the broken in our culture and not seeing this kind of religious thing as a private thing just for me to benefit myself. But we're here to see cities changed and brokenness healed. We don't want to just blend into the world. We want to be different. Um, Blake talked about idolatry last week. 
And, and, and I think the idolatry of this kind of Christianity in, in Norman is thick. It's hard to overcome. It's hard to kill this kind of idolatry. Because once again, not only we're a part of this culture, but now it's a part of kind of the Christian culture in our city and really all over um, this part of the country for sure. And in Luke 14, 25, Jesus, there's a large crowd. And he said to this large crowd, because I think he was kind of testing them. He said, hey, to follow me, you need to hate your father and mother and brothers and sisters. Can we know that he didn't mean hate to, to mistreat them because that would be contradicting other things he said. Well, most commentators think he's comparing in the comparison to how much I love Jesus, how much I'm willing to do for Jesus. It is as if I hate my family. That's how much I love Jesus. Okay, so it's more of a, a comparison tool that Jesus is using. So he's saying, don't come to me to, to, to bolster your resume don't come to me to get something. Don't come to me to fit in with a certain crowd you want to be a part of. Come to me for me. Come to me because I'm a good king. Come to me because you want more of me, not the, the following of me is going to give you something. I am the goal here. I am the aim. And he's good. He's loving. He's a benevolent king. He's worth following. So maybe we should say we're fanatics and we're extremists. We should be extremists in our humility, fanatics in how we treat the broken, the broken and the marginalized in the city. And let the city see that, yeah, we're extremists in our love for the city and want to see the city changed for the good. Those are the things we want to be fanatical about, the things that Jesus was fanatical about. Jesus tells this story again that it kind of gets at this. He's talking about a, a man who is walking along in a field and he finds a treasure hidden in this field digs it up, sees it. He's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to bury this. I'm going to sell everything I have, come back kind of legally, buy this field so I can have this treasure in this field. Now, he, he recognizes, and, and, and again, in this story, Jesus is the treasure. And so he's, he's the man, though, it it's, it's makes logical sense. It's a good investment when what is buried in this treasure is worth more than everything you own, everything you have, for you to sell all of that stuff and to buy a field where the treasure is, is, is placed because it is the most uh, valuable thing you can possibly think of. Okay, it just made, that's a good investment. We would all say that's a good investment. There's, and that's what Jesus says. I'm a good investment. Following me is a good investment. Saying goodbye to your family, saying goodbye to these things, saying goodbye to your past, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. And this is the, the point of the treasure in the field. So I think we need to be careful having two classes of Christians, two kinds of groups of people. Because if you have just kind of converts, people who are Christians, and then you have disciples, I think we're going to lack a lot of maturity in growing up into disciples. And I'm worried about, um, this is what's happened to a lot of our um, churches in our, in our, in our uh, culture, the Christian culture in our country. So this is what being a learner looks like. We pursue, we love, we understand. We, we want to know God more. We want to love God more. We want to obey God more. This is what being a learner looks like to pursue God. So the process. So how, how does this happen? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, the process. What does this process look like? And, you, and I kind of think of this oftentimes. Is it, would be, it would be really nice if Jesus was still here. Like if the one I was apprenticing under, if I could see him in the flesh, I could follow him this way and follow him this way and he could show me how to do this and I could do it and I could mess up and he could come back and show me where I messed up and show me how to do that better or whatever. That would be, that makes more sense to me. And I think um, 
the disciples, I think, knew that as well. And they were saying the same things. And Jesus anticipated that. When he, in John 14, shortly before he was to be crucified, he says this in 25 and 26. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, also translated teacher there, the helper, the teacher, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all everything that I have said to you. He says, I'm sending you the Spirit to live inside of you. And even says a few chapters later that it's even better. It's better that I go away and send the Spirit because the Spirit will live inside of his followers and, he'll, and the Spirit will change us from the inside out, change our mind, change our heart, change our desires, change what we want, change our loves. He says, this is better. He's the teacher and he will live inside of you and he will bring, bring remembrance, all things that I have taught you. And then a few verses after this, Jesus uses this, uh, this picture of a vine and some branches. And I think this, for us, this may be the best description of what an ongoing life of discipleship looks like, thinking about the Spirit as our teacher. Let's look at John 15. Let's go 1 through 5. John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Listen to this. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. There's the gospel. They're changed. They're new creations. Now he's saying, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this last line. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is, again, Jesus being really helpful here, using a, an illustration that we're all aware of. You think of a bush, you think of a tree, you think it has this main trunk or this main vine, and you have branches coming off of that. And we all know that if you break off a branch of that tree and throw it on the ground, and you come back a day, maybe a week later, that branch will be dead. That branch cannot survive apart from the trunk, apart from the vine. So what he's telling his disciples, okay? So if you were to sum up what it looks like to be a disciple, he would say, remain in me. I am where you get the nutrients. I am where you get the growth. I am where you get the power. Remain in me. Stay connected with me. Stay in relationship with me. Think about that. Think about what that means. And then he even goes on to say, we can do nothing. It's not only that we can't bear fruit apart from him. It actually goes even further and says, we can do nothing apart from him. So this should cause us to, hey, I, need to, I, need to I need to remain in him. What does this look like? How does this play out in my day-to-day -day life? Let's go ahead and look at 9, 10, and 11 real quick as well. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Same chapter. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that... My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And notice here, there's a conditional promise here in verse 10. It says, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. So the, the, the role that we have is to remain in him, to keep his commandments, to be learners of him, to pursue him. And this is how we keep his commandments, by pursuing him, by knowing him, by loving him, by being obedient to the things he's laid out in the scriptures. And what he says it'll lead to there, at the very end of that, he says, it will lead to your joy being full. You will have full, fullness of joy if you remain in me. 
if you keep my commandments. And again, he's talking to, to, to Christians here. He's talking to his disciples. So he's not talking about salvation and whether your salvation is in doubt. He's saying, no, you're saved. You're a child. But if you want to experience all the blessings that, that come along with this relationship, you want to experience freedom and joy and hope, you, they're, they're, you have to stay connected into the relationship. So if you're here today and you may be thinking, well, I just don't feel that. I don't feel connected to Jesus, maybe the way you should. Well, then are you abiding in him? And what does that look like? And, and, and really ask, asking yourself those hard questions. Am I abiding in him? Am I remaining in him? Because he is the vine and we are the branches. We pursue to know him and love him. This is something that, um, a, a passage that's really helped me with this. And, um, because this can be, feel like, okay, Keeping his commandments. And we all fail. We know this, okay? We, we try to keep his commandments. We fail. And we can't, we, that's where grace comes in. This is where faith comes. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in, okay? We can't keep his commands perfectly. But we're following him. We're attempting. We're striving to do that. And this, this passage here, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, has been so beneficial for me when I think through my life, okay? And I think through following him. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like all you are, who are anxiety-ridden, all of you who are fearful, all of you have relational brokenness and your relationships are a mess, are tired, those of you who are trying to keep the law in your own strength and power to save you and you just can't, come to me. Come to me. And he goes on and he says, I will give you rest. And he goes on in verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. And we know a yoke is something they put around oxen to kind of control them around their head to move them to the direction they want to go. But so there is a yoke upon us. We do have a yoke if we're followers of Jesus. But look what he says about the yoke. And learn from me. There's that word learn. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How many of us, if you could just, if, if you were promised rest for your soul. I mean, that's, that's a deep, deep kind of rest. Deep contentment. Deep peace. Rest for your souls. I think we would all sign up for that. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we come to him, when we follow him, when we keep his, try to strive to keep his commands, we have a gentle yoke on us. The burden is light. Our king is benevolent. He's kind, he's gracious. He sent his, Jesus came to die for us. He's, he's demonstrated his love for us already. And now he's saying, follow me, take my yoke upon you. This pursuit should not be burdensome. The commands of Jesus should, should, should not make us feel burdensome. If, if they're burdensome, then we don't know the king. We don't know the gospel. We don't believe that we're new creations. We don't believe our new identity if these commands are burdensome. If we remember that his yoke is easy and we put on that yoke, we'll experience freedom and joy. And John 15 says that, fullness of joy. Our joy may be full. So we are disciples. We are learners who are, who are continuing to, to learn how to abide in him, knowing, loving, and obeying him. So let's look, what does this look like in everyday life? Okay, so we know we're supposed to remain in him. We know we're supposed to abide in him. The primary way that God reveals himself to us is in his word. That's the primary way, okay? He has revealed himself to us in his word. So the Bible is really, really important. We need to be people of the Bible. We need to learn to know, to study, to, 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 to love God's word. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 
4 through 6. This is in, um, in, in Ju- the Judaism religion. This is called the Shema, okay? 4 through 6. Let's read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, this was the most important uh, verses the, uh, a, a person observing the Ju- Judaism religion could, could learn. Okay, this was it. They needed to learn this. They needed to know this. They needed to believe this. Okay, this was very, very important to them. And this is actually should be important to us. This is obviously, this Old Testament is our holy scripture as well. This is talking about our God. So this is an important passage as well. And God knows how important this is. He's telling them that they shall be on your heart. You need to know these super deep. Now let's look at the next three verses. He's going to tell them how, specifically how. He gives them the answer. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, you notice this. This is the rhythm of every day. Like every day, this is the rhythm that someone would go through. So you think waking up, eating breakfast, going, taking the kids to and from school or commuting to work, coming home from work, having dinner, eating lunch, going to bed. If you think about those things, these are the things we do every day, almost every day in rhythm, those kinds of things. And that's what this is describing here. So as you do the things that you do every day, think about me, connect me to those things. So throughout the day, you're remembering me. Okay? It could be an hour quiet time in the morning. That's, that's, that's great, but it also should probably be pretty, like a minute here and a minute there throughout the day. What are you doing to remind yourself of the good news, the gospel, the scriptures throughout the day? And for parents, I think this is especially important as you try to uh, disciple your kids in the Lord. Okay? Find different parts of the day to cause you to go back and remind yourself of the scripture. He keeps going at eight and nine. He said, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and that should be as frontlets between your eyes. So he's talking about there, the physical, they're, they're on, it's on their body. That's, that's, so much, that's how he wants them to remember. That's to the degree. And then verse nine, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. So they're on them physically, this, to remember them. And it's also all around them when they get home. Okay, so this is just saying that the scripture, the, the Bible, the gospel, we should, we, should be a, uh, it should, we should saturate our lives with it. Every moment of every day. And this, this doesn't mean we can't do things that aren't associated with the scriptures, but throughout the day, if we're going to set our minds on the Lord, and if that's, this is really where fullness of joy is found, then we need to find creative ways to continue to be learners. Again, the life of an apprentice was all of life. You went to live with this person, you watched them, they, they modeled life for you, and you followed them. Okay, so this is the calling for us as disciples. Curtis Vaughn, a theologian, and seminary professor described discipleship like this. I really like this. He said, we're like immigrants to a new country. We're citizens, but we're not habituated into the new society. It is a process. Okay, so when we're Christians, we're brought into a, a, a new kingdom. We're citizens now. But it takes a while for us to develop the habits that will form us into the people to be, to be true uh, uh, godly citizens in this new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. Okay, So this is a process. This, this is something that as time goes on, we should automatically uh, loving Jesus and knowing Jesus almost should become second nature to us as it, as it is being a citizen in a country, a second nature to people who are citizens. So I think before we transition into what does this look like as a church, do you feel this way? I want to pause. Do you feel this way? Do you feel like that you're, you, you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Do you think about this? Is your goal to grow up into your faith? 
is your aim to look more like Jesus as time goes on in your life. I, I pray that it would be. And I pray maybe today you're, you're, this is the first time you're hearing this and that you would be maybe a, a, awoken to this truth, to this idea that Jesus calls us to, okay? So really as a church, this is a vision series. I want us to commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to being disciples as individuals and as a church. And we want to help you do that. Okay, we want to help you do that. The, the, the role of leadership here is to pastor you and to shepherd you and to equip you to grow up into your faith and do the work of ministry. Okay, at our church, we don't want the leadership doing all the work. Okay, we try not to do that. We'll model, we'll do some work, but then we want to equip you all to do the work of the ministry, to grow up into your faith. So we want to help you get through these things. We want to help you grow in all these identities. And, and so I'm going to get real practical just for a few minutes to close. Um, how this looks for us as an individual. Okay, so the question to ask yourself, what are the daily uh, habits and practices look like of a disciple of Jesus? Like, what do they look like? And if you don't know how to answer that question, find someone um, that you know or that's, that's, that's walked with Jesus for a while and ask them, hey, what does your life look like? What does your daily rhythm look like as you think about and dwell on the Lord? What does your weekly rhythms look like? Um, they're, they're, uh, yeah, daily, weekly, moment by moment. How, how are you doing that? How do you see yourself as a disciple in those areas? There are many, many things we can talk about, but I really want to focus on three really briefly. First, reading, studying, and meditating on scripture. So the Bible. The Bible has to be central when we're talking about becoming learners or disciples of Jesus. Okay, the second is prayer. Okay, and when I say prayer, communicating with God, listening and speaking. And I would say we want to do that about 50-50. Okay, some of us are just speakers. We talk to God all the time. There's a part of that as we listen. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. He's, he, he's our tutor. He's our helper. Therefore, we should listen. Learn to listen to the Spirit's voice, but we also talk like we're talking to a father, okay? Um, and the third thing is, is to, we, we encourage you all to read really good books that are gonna stir your faith and grow you up as a disciple of Jesus, okay? The Bible's primary, but you can gain a lot of biblical wisdom and you can learn a lot about the scriptures from reading really good books. It's not saying you have to read only books that are Christian in nature, but I think a steady diet of your intake and your reading should be things that are gonna stir your faith cause you to think, cause you to dwell on the Lord. Now this week, we're gonna, we're gonna, on our website, we're gonna give some practical steps for these areas, okay? So for the Bible, okay? If you're just starting from zero on, on Bible reading, um, I encourage you just to Google Bible reading plan. Okay, we have preferences. There are some that are better than others, but if, you, if you're not reading your Bible, just Google one and start, okay? There's a lot of good things out there. Just Google it and, and you will find that there. Oh, on prayer, start small, like five minutes a day. Just talk to God like he's your daddy. Listen to him. Is, do, you, do you sense the spirit impressing on you of anything? Okay, connect those two. As you read the scripture, pray about the scripture. Pray that God would make the scripture a reality in your life. Like I said, we're gonna put some stuff on the website this week to, to make those things practical for you. So as an individual, these are some things you can think about in walking this out. Now as a church, there's three areas or environments we do this. One, it's Sunday gathering. Sunday gathering is really important for us. It's really important, but if this is all... Uh, being a disciple is for you, it's incomplete. Okay, an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday is not going to help you grow that much as a disciple of Jesus. It's very, very important, and I think it's a necessity in the big picture of discipleship. But if that's all the Christian life is for you, I think you're going to have an incomplete version of discipleship, okay? 
So, but during this gathering, come, come to this gathering, participate in the gathering, serve this gathering. We always need people to serve and to, to walk out their faith to make this thing come uh, to fruition every week, okay? So help serve in this environment and come on Sundays. This is an important day where all of us get together and um, focus and dwell and worship God, okay? So the Sunday gathering. Second, our missional communities, okay? This is the primary environment where discipleship happens in our church is in missional communities. You have people around you that are walking faith. Learn from each other. It doesn't just have to be one person. Learn from each other, okay? If you're struggling in an area, find someone in your missional community that maybe is a little bit ahead of you in that area and ask them. Take them out for a coffee or lunch and ask them how they do that, okay? Help each other, help, help, let's help each other grow up into our faith. And missional communities is a great way for this because it's, it's 24-7. We want these missional communities to be families that operate as families. And then within missional communities, we have these things called fight clubs. If you're not in a missional community, get in that first. But fight clubs are same gendered groups, three to five, get together, uh, go a little bit deeper, talk about some things that maybe we don't have time to talk about um, during missional community and uh, deeper accountability, those kinds of things happen in Fight Club, okay? So we're giving you a pathway here, we think, to grow up into being a disciple. So if you're asking, hey, what are my next steps after today to like obey the things that we're talking about in the scriptures today? Those would be the things. Sunday gathering, missional community, and Fight Clubs. And here's the deal. I know that when we start thinking about discipleship, I think it brings, maybe we have baggage with it, maybe it brings some um, anxiety. And here's the deal. If we trust that we have a new identity, that identity has come by grace through faith, faith alone, nothing that we did, then all of us should be able to stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm falling short in some areas. I guarantee everyone in this room has areas of immaturity in their discipleship. So all of us should be looking around, trying to find other people or other tools to help us grow up into that. All the leadership of the church is aware of areas that, that we need to grow, and we're all seeking out ways to grow in those specific areas. And the good thing about the freedom of the gospel allows us to raise our hand and say, yeah, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a son, daughter of, of the king, but I need some help in this area. So who can help me? And then on the flip side, I think if I, if I asked all of you right now, hey, I want all of you to disciple someone. I'm sure a lot of, most of you would say, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. I can't disciple someone. I don't know how to do that. The gospel also allows us to be confident. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his word. 99% of you could be discipling someone in some area. And so it allows us to have this kind of humble confidence that, yeah, I'm new at this. I have some areas of weakness, but there are some areas that, that I'm really strong. And I think I can help people in those areas. So the gospel helps us be humble in, um, in both um, looking for people that can disciple us, but also helping others in their faith as well. I'm going to end with these three questions. I heard a pastor ask these three questions, and I think they're very helpful to close on. Number one, who are you following? Who are you following? Built into that is you should be following someone, okay? Who are you following? Two, who could you be discipling? Who could you be pouring into? Again, the statement under that question is, you should be looking around and asking yourself, who has God put in my path to be able to help in their faith? Third, are you living a life worthy of imitation? Are you following Jesus? Can you say to someone, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul said? Okay, and that's just kind of a question to ask. Meditate on where are the areas that I'm falling short and where, the, where do I need to get help? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, once again, your word. I thank you for something that is as a, uh, 
oftentimes confusing and we use this word discipleship a lot. Um, and I thank you that your word has given us some pretty clear guidelines and Jesus has given us some pretty clear examples of what it means to be a disciple. Whether it's the vine and the branches or the treasure hidden in the field or the come to me and, and, and all you are heavy, heavy laden and weary and I will give you rest and, and your, your yoke is easy. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've, you've given us these clear pathways, these clear things we can do to grow in our faith, to trust the gospel at a deeper level, to know you more, to love you and to obey you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.